This is Strange Assembly episode 202, Underrated Games. I'm Chris Stevenson, and I'm here today with Jay Earl. Hello! And this is Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. You can find us on the web at strangeassembly.com or at strangeassembly on Twitter, facebook.com slash strangeassembly, or strangeassembly in iTunes or Google Play if you want to subscribe to the podcast. And what we're going to do today is talk about underrated games. And we're going to do this in the form of top 10 lists, but we're going to do it in a, in a very specific sort of way. And that is, because uh, you know you know me, I like faux statistics. <laughs> I mean, I prefer real ones, but even even kind of fakish ones are, 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 are amusing to me. So, oh, I, I thought you meant that you fight the statistics, that they are your foes. No, F-A-U-X, fake, fake statistics. Ah. Those are good, too. Yeah, speaking of statistics... Did you see that on Fantasy Flight's website, they actually had some sort of statistical analysis of metagame and making the cut and such in in the Game of Thrones LCG? Huh, I know they used to do that for Netrunner. Yeah, it made me kind of salivate a little bit at the, the possibility of being able to, like, do that for mm-hmm. L5R and have the company care, since I used to always do that sort of <laughs> stuff for L5R. Anyhow, aside, there's an aside. All right, so back to... Of fake statistics. When we're talking about underrated, we're going to do this in relation to Board Game Geek. Because Board Game Geek has this big database of ratings. And, you know, you can question how useful or helpful those are, but what, you know, they're something. They're a certain sort of audience, but they're there. And you then, as an individual, can rate games. Well, if you go into your profile on Board Game Geek, you can actually look at underrated games and overrated games, and those are games where your rating substantially deviates from what the overall geek rating is. That's not the average rating given by individual board game geek members. That is the rating that has been modified with like the anti-shill algorithm, and it's got some dummy votes to handle. So a situation where a game with five votes where it gets a 10 each doesn't become the number one game on the site. And so I... I thought that would make a a sort of interesting, quote-unquote, objective way of saying underrated and overrated games. Now, Jay and I each have our own lists, and so Jay has gotten to to keep or add in what he wanted. I have personally excluded games that are not really board game geek sort of games, because I don't think that's really a helpful comparison, so... If you actually look at my underrated games on Board Game Geek, the number one underrated game is War of Honor, and the number two underrated game is Legend of the Five Rings. This should come as a shock to no one. Mm-hmm. But that's not really a helpful thing. You know, whatever, I, like the rating I gave to Necromunda, these are sort of games that have their own sort of distinct communities. So that sort of game I have cut out. So I'm trying to stick to sort of Basic sorts of board games. I don't know. Do you have any commentary on your, your methodology or thoughts before we get going into the the lists themselves? Well, I mean, I also excluded things like L5R and Doomtown. That would be my number one and two if I weren't excluding them. But as we were talking before the show, I think it's interesting that 
it really shows our different way of rating games. We were talking about one of them where I rated it fairly highly because I have fun with it. You rated it fairly low, lowly because you think it's a horribly imbalanced game. And so it's on my, it's on my list. It's on your overrated games list because, because of that. So yes, it is possible that we would do an, the corollary to this episode, which would be the overrated games. But I'm kind of on the fence about that. I mean, it could be amusing. And in fact, in some ways, it might be more amusing because it's, it's going to be more striking. What you'll find as we go through a lot of these lists is that these are usually not games that BGG thinks are bad, but we think that, oh, actually, they're good. It's mostly games where BGG thinks that they're decent to good, and we grade them great. Like, if you don't rate a game at least an 8, and it's any good, it's really not possible <laughs> yeah. for it to end up, because I don't know what the average game rating is on BGG, but if a game actually gets below a 6 geek rating, it's either super obscure or not good. It's just really hard for things to get, to get down there. I mean... E- but on the on the overrated side, it's really like, here's a game that a lot of people like, and let's bag on it for a while. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of amusing. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, it, it's certainly not useful. Not that not being useful is disqualifying. But, you know, it's like, surprise, surprise, I still don't like Blood Rage. <laughs> and a lot of people really do. Anyhow, so, let's get to the list then and what is your what's your number 10 jay my number 10 is terror in meeple city or as it was once known rampage it was originally called rampage but then the video game cease and desisted it so it had to change its name uh this is the one where you take a board you take a whole bunch of meeples and little cardboard squares and use them to build up a city of buildings and then you're playing the monsters, and you come smash everything to, down to the ground, and it's great fun and silliness. Okay, my number 10 is Core Worlds, which keeps coming up. It's probably because we've had a lot of stuff about Stronghold lately, and I keep saying, this is my favorite Stronghold game. It's still my favorite Stronghold game. Mm-hmm. Right, everybody's big favorite thing right now is Terraforming Mars, which... I think is a really good game as well, but it's basically impossible for that to show up on an on on an underrated list because it's so highly rated. Like, you know, at this point, but Core Worlds is a a deck building game released in 2011, and in Core Worlds, you are going through the essentially the collapse of a galactic civilization, and you're kind of starting barbarianish sort of civilizations are moving in towards the center, and it combines more normal-ish sort of deck building with also using things to conquer planets, but there's also a, a draft sort of element to it, and that each new sector of space that you go into, there's going to be a, a particular array of cards that come out, and they aren't... It's not an automatic refill row like Ascension. It's not a fixed you know, set of stacks of cards like, like Dominion, it, you know, this is the one of those maybe that comes out this game of this particular card. And you have to really think about worker, I guess what, what feels like a worker placement sort of thing in that it's, this is the one chance to get that. 
which one is more important to you, this one or that one, and what your opponent might want, and then thinking, especially when you start thinking about planets to try to conquer, you get a little bit of armies. It, it really does deck building with a lot of of more interesting things. It also has uh, a couple of expansions, but I, I think it's swell. That's uh, my number 10, Core Worlds. All right, my number nine is Valley of the Kings. Uh, we've talked about this one several times before. It's a deck builder where you can, t- not only can you take it with you, but it's about how much you take with you. When you die, you're trying to build up your pyramid full of treasure. And so where a lot of deck building games have some mechanic to strip cards out of your deck so you can improve the efficiency, this game takes that to to the next level. And your score is based on what you're able to strip out of your deck by the end of the game. So it's got a nice balance of you need to remove cards so you can score them, but you need to keep cards so you can actually use them. So yeah, one of my favorite deck builders. Yeah, Valley of the Kings is excellent. Valley of the Kings Last Rites shows up on my underrated list, and I decided that really shouldn't count because it's kind of an expansion, and it's and it's only the the most recent one that hasn't accumulated the same number of ratings that that showed on my underrated, but it is it is an excellent deck builder. My number nine is Time Stories, and this is one of those ones where the board game geek community thinks it is a great game, and I think it is an and I think it is an uber fantastic game. Time Stories is a non-repeatable story-driven game where you're going into a particular scenario and essentially trying to solve a mystery by working through a particular set of of locations which are you know represented by a deck of cards that are stacked in a particular fashion and you you know as you go into different locations it'll have you pull out different cards and then go get this out each different expansion has individual characters that you pop into when you you have that, I think there have been three released so far. Like the yeah, the Marcy tape, in addition to the one that comes with the game, a, a Marcy tape, which you, where you go into the 80s, Prophecy of Dragons, which is you, you go into a fantasy setting, and Under the Mask, which I've not done, which I think is an Egyptian thing. And then I think at the beginning of next year, Expedition Endurance comes out. But I just really loved the storytelling exploration aspect of this. And, and BGG likes it, but not as much as I do. That's uh, my number nine, Time Stories. All right, my number eight is the one that's going to make Chris regret doing this podcast, and that is Exploding <laughs> Kittens. This was famous, what, two years ago? It had the like one of the biggest game Kickstarters. It's the artwork of The Oatmeal, who, if you haven't heard of him, I'm impressed that you have heard of podcasts and are listening to us. He's a internet celebrity who does funny drawings and comics and that sort of thing. And he partnered up with some people to make this game, Exploding Kittens. It's very silly, very over the top. The setup is there's a deck of cards that everyone is drawing from. So at the end of your turn, you draw a card. And if it is one of the titular exploding kittens, you lose the game, it explodes in your face and you die. And you just go around until everyone, except for one person, has had a kitten explode in their face. So that's my number eight, exploding kittens. Yeah, no comment. 
<laughs> my number eight is I should know how to pronounce this, but I I don't know that I do. Uh, Peloponnes, right? The uh, ancient Greece. It is a a civ building sort of game. You're going to be acquiring buildings. You're going to be acquiring land. These go in a tableau in front of you. They're they're going to generate resources. But it's got a couple of of interesting, unique sort of elements to it. The way that you acquire the tiles and buildings is through a bidding mechanic where I guess Keyflower now does something somewhat similar where like you bid on a tile and then a later later players come around and it, and somebody can outbid you and that then forces your bid off but you can only move your bid to something to another tile that you would be winning and that you actually meet the minimum bid for so when you're putting your bids down you kind of have to think about like where like where is it that I am going to go with this money if I get outbid on this tile it also is pretty rough in a way that I I thought was fun but other you know people who don't like this may not in that there are three parts of the game where you have to feed your people and it's bad if you can't and there are also five disasters that are going to happen over the course of the game and the way that that works is that there are these tiles that you pull out of a bag every turn and some of the tiles are blanks but most of the tiles have symbols that match up with the disasters and when the third tile is pulled for a particular disaster then that disaster will happen and it will trash some of your resources or maybe kill some people or or destroy things or maybe you've done maybe you've acquired a building that makes you immune to that disaster but i i think it's quite fun and that's my number eight all right so my number seven is space cadets dice duel space cadets is sort of a star trek parody type thing with dice duel it's two teams going against each other you have a board each team has a spaceship on the board each team, depending on how many people are on the team, will have, let's say you have the full eight players, so four on each side. You have somebody who's manning the helm, somebody's manning engineering, somebody's manning the weapons, somebody's manning, uh, I forget the fourth station. But so each person at their station is constantly rolling dice. And so like the weapons engineer is trying to roll dice to make a missile so they can shoot a missile at the other person. Engineering is trying to get your shields up so that you can defend against the missile. And the helm is trying to move you around the board so you can shoot the other person successfully because they'll be where you can shoot from. And it's just this crazy, hectic, everyone's rolling dice at the same time and yelling at each other, we need a missile in the aft so we can shoot them now, go! And it's just crazy, fun, insanity. That is Space Cadets Dice Duel, my number seven. Okay, my number seven is Lords of Waterdeep, very far from an obscure game. This is a a very straightforward worker placement game with a bit of a D&D theme, although it feels like a lot more of a D&D theme if you've got the custom meeples, so that instead of cubes, you have little dudes that actually look like fighters and wizards and, and rogues. Nice. And this is another game that is well thought of, but I rate it extremely highly because I really love worker placement as a mechanic, and this is 
the worker placement game that I can use to teach people how to do worker placement. It, it is the most straightforward one that I will enjoy playing and that hopefully they will enjoy playing. I'm. It is the sort of thing that you can teach to somebody who's new to the hobby, and I think that's just very important. And to be able to teach like that and then still have fun playing it as time goes on, I so I think that is just a great, great, great game. And that is my number seven, Lords of Waterdeep. Speaking of entry-level worker placement games. Yeah, so my number six is Stone Age, which I feel like is one of the earliest, certainly one of the most straightforward worker placement games I'm familiar with. Just a very straightforward worker placement. You place your workers out at the beginning of the turn, and there's a limited room, so maybe you don't get the spots you want. At the end of the turn, you bring them back, and you roll dice to figure out how successful they were in actually getting you whatever resource you sent them to get. And then there's also places you can go where you can spend those resources to get upgrades and to get things that'll get you points. But so yeah, very straightforward, simple worker placement game. Quite a bit of fun. That is my number six, Stone Age. My number six is another entry-level sort of thing, and that is Dominion. There was probably a time when this would not have classified as an underrated game, but I think that as time has faded and, and deck builders have remain popular with people like me and Jay, but are not, mm-hmm. you know, the hotness in the community, and just, you know, the average rating of things sinks over time. Dominion gets forgotten a little bit, which is odd for a game that I'm I'm pretty sure still sells like crazy. And I, and I think that Dominion is and will remain a, a foundational entry-level game. I mean, not only did it invent the genre, essentially... But it did it well enough that this is a game that you could throw in a mass market store, like a Target thing. You know, put it next to Ticket to Ride and, and introduce it there. And then you've just got tons of play. I've played Dominion so much. So much. Much, much more often than I, you know, ever get the chance to play most of the the board games I have in my collection, and it has its formalities that not all other deck-building games adhere to, but I think that it is still really great. That's my number six underrated game, Dominion. All right, so our number five, we both have this at number five, uh, is Viticulture. I'll give a little bit about it and let you talk some more, but As you said, we both like worker placements. I think this is possibly one of the best worker placement games, especially once you start adding in some of the expansions. It really has in the flow of planning, of blocking other players without being so completely breaking if you do get blocked yourself. Yeah, I'll let you talk some more. The mechanics flow smoothly. The mechanics make flavorful sense with what you're doing with the the worker placement. I think that it was a an amazing game in its original iteration and where it was a very, very t- 
tight and very harsh worker placement game. The Essential Edition, I actually rate higher. Not that it's necessarily that much more fantastic, in my opinion, but it makes it much more it makes it more forgiving which makes it easier to play with a broader range of people so it's sort of interesting like core worlds and terraforming mars were like for stronghold like no 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 i still like core worlds better than terraforming mars i still think that viticulture is uh is stonemeyer's best game even though uh the consensus of the community has propelled scythe into to that position so that was our uh, our number five viticulture. And then my number four will show up later on your list. So yes, yes, I think that's the last of our our overlaps. Yes. My number four is Edo, which, by the way, you can go buy right now on the Fantasy Flight Holiday Sale because the Fantasy Flight Holiday Sale is really the Asmodee Holiday Sale now. But the fact that it's on their holiday sale probably a, a sign that of why it shows up on the underrated list. But this is a complicated area control, action selection, resource gathering game with a programmable elephant, uh, uh, elephant, element. <laughs> it's a programmable elephant. That is a, I want that game I, now. I so want that game. <laughs> uh, alas, no. You have several tiles and at the beginning of your turn, you have to choose the order that you're going to do those tiles in, and you have to choose which of the actions on that tile you're going to do, and you get a little tray where you rotate them. You, you're you putting samurai out on the board and, and occupying towns and gathering rice. And other than the programmable aspect, I'm not sure that any one thing really stood out, but I... I liked the mild programming element of it. I thought that it really flowed well and gelled together. It just gets the job done in a, a really effective way. That's Edo, my number four. All right, so my number three is Zia, Legends of a Drift System. This is a game that for me, is like major nostalgia scratch, because it reminds me so much of a computer game called Escape Velocity that I loved as a kid. It's a board game where you're playing a space adventurer. You start out with a little ship that has some powers. You have a, a ship board that has room for upgrades or cargo or whatever. And when you start the game, you just go off exploring. It's got these large tiles that are slowly build out the board there's planets there's nebula there's all sorts of things to explore and then it's also got a number of different ways to get victory points towards winning you can go around you can shoot at each other you can be the best trader by buying and selling goods you can be a really cool explorer by going and finding victory points that way so it's a nice open-ended board game. It's got a couple of flaws. I'm really hoping it's they kickstart an expansion later this year. It's coming out soon. Based on what it looks like, it looks like they've fixed a lot of the flaws of the game. So I'm really hoping that it will rise in the community's esteem because it is a very fun game, even if it's not the most balanced one. 
this is coming back to this is the one where I rank it highly because it's fun, even though it, despite its imbalances, Chris mm, can't overlook the imbalances. So you talk about the raising in the community steam. I mean, this is Zia is the number 172 ranked board game on BGG with a, a geek rating of 7.221, which means if it's showing up on this list, the J rates it at least a 9.221. Mm-hmm. So probably a 10. Uh, <laughs> unless you're one of those, I only rate things in whole numbers. I'm not getting into like point fives, and some people will like give things multiple decimal points, and I'm just not going to put that much thought into it. I give this game 6 pi over E as my rating. <laughs> I have no idea what that number would actually be. Anyway, that was my number three, Zia Legends of a Drift System. My number three is Seasons. I think there's a common theme here in a, a lot of these, which I guess it's good that that theme exists, because if, if this wasn't present, I don't think I'd, I don't know if I'd even have ten underrated games. <laughs> One of the things, reverse right, it's, it's hard to have underrated games because you... If a game actually has an eight, you know, it's basically not possible to underrate it by the way that the system works. Not that there's games that have eights, but it means that for a lot of games, if you don't give them a 10, they're not showing up as underrated. Yeah. But for me, my average rating of board games, it turns out, is less. Like than a two? What, than, it's not a two. <laughs> I, well, the, the funny thing is, right, because BGG actually keeps track of this, I can tell you that my average board game rating is a 5.76. My average expansion rating is a 6.17. Presumably that's inflated because if I thought the game stunk, I'm less likely to act to ever get around to playing the expansion. Sure. And I think that that's significantly less than what a lot of people's average rating is. I try to give myself more room to play with with differentiating what a 5 is versus a 6 versus an 8 versus a 10. But it, it means that there's fewer things up at like nines and tens where they could be underrated. But anyhow, theme with seasons, right, that ties into some of these is that that puts them over the top for me as something that I am giving something like a 10 to is because they are games that I, as someone who thinks to myself as a serious gamer, <laughs> with I'm doing air quotes here, I really enjoy playing and... They are games that can be played with a a wide breadth of styles of gamer. This one is is more complicated than something like Lords of Waterdeep, but not by a lot, right? You're still just selecting one die. The main complication, frankly, comes in and trying to manage when you like what are the what does the card do and when should be playing the cards. This is played over. Three years, four seasons per year. Each season, each turn, you roll a just set of big chunky dice that have different powers on each side of them, and then the players take turns choosing which die they're going to take, and those will generate these elemental resources, or maybe let you trade resources, or just give you some victory points, or let you draw another card, and then the the big way that you'll usually end up scoring points is that you will use the resources you're collecting from these various roles to 
play down the cards from your hand, which will you have some sort of either one-shot effect or some sort of static ability that will generate victory points for you or generate more resources or or just have a point value on them or, or some combination of that. And I, I think it, it works out really well, and I, I think it is something that I can play with a wide range of people, although, unfortunately, in this case, not with my wife. She does not like seasons, but no game is perfect, I guess, you know. But that is my number three seasons. All right, my number two is Bananagrams. This is a game where, as far as I can tell, the only reason it's Bananagrams is because it comes in a banana. It's basically a whole bunch of Scrabble tiles. And the game is you put them all out face down, and then you grab a whole bunch of them. And... Everybody has their own collection, and you start, you flip them all, flip your collection face up, and you may need to make a crossword-type situation, spelling out words, and once you've done that using all of your letters, you yell out, banana, and everybody grabs another letter from the pool, and you keep doing that until every tile has gotten used, and once every tile is used, and somebody completes, use all of their personal collection of tiles, they all bananagram and they win. So it's a very simple language game, easy to play with all sorts of people. That is my number two, bananagrams. Would it be your number one if bananagrams had an exclamation point at the end? Probably. You know me. <laughs> you know me so well. <laughs> it's not just bananagrams. It's bananagrams. My number two, which was Jay's number four, is Love Letter. And this is another one that I was actually a little surprised to see. I, I think it, I don't know if like Dominion, it's something that seems to have faded in the the eyes of the community. I think, may, I don't know, maybe people just like Resistance better. They're not really that comparable, except that they're small card games. But Well, I mean, I, I feel like after the Batman version of Love Letter came out, that was sort of, you know... That was the ultimate version. All other versions should bow down before it. Yeah, was that Letters from Arkham? Something like that, yeah. I have not played Letters from Arkham. I I don't think I've played any. They actually have some mild rules, thematic rules differences in some of those. But mm-hmm. they've uh, AEG's made a whole mess of those. You know, yeah. there's like Hobbit Love Letter and Adventure Time Love Letter and christmas and letters from santa uh, and other license that they got that they slapped love letter on and yes yeah. and anything you want there's an l5r one that's of course worth doing mm-hmm. i still think my favorite is just the original aeg version which is the tempest art that was another set of things that i was kind of surprised did not make it on to here like tempest i mean there were some some of the Tempest games I did not like, but Mercante and, and Dominari were, I thought, pretty good. So I was mm-hmm. kind of expecting them to show up on this, but apparently I, I don't rate those high enough. Like I said, it's it's hard if you're not rating things 9s or 10s for them to be overrated, at least the way I... Anyhow. Or for them to come across as un- underrated. Uh, but Love Letter, uh, if you haven't played it, it's a like, 16-card game, I believe. It plays super quickly... Each player has, like, one card to start their turn. They draw a card, they play one of them, 
They are very simple things about trying to, you know, you're trying to figure out which cards are in the other player's hand so that you can play something like a guard where you get to name the card in their hand, and if you name it correctly, they're out of this hand. Or if the game actually makes it to the end of the round, which it usually doesn't, whoever's got the highest numbered card in their hand wins between all the trading and discarding and and such that is going on. But I think it is just like an unbeatable feel in that really small game play space. Uh, What do you think about it, Jay? Oh, I agree. I don't think you can have a better example of like just simple streamlined mechanic, but yet make such a complicated game. It reminds me of things, you know, like chess, where it's just simple mechanic, straightforward, easy to explain, and yet fairly deep strategy-wise. Hashtag pretentious. <laughs> okay. Well, that leaves just... After Love Letter, that leaves just one left for each of us. So what is your number one underrated game, Jay? My number one underrated game is Android Mainframe. I have a sneaking suspicion that this is underrated simply because it's relatively new and so the community at large has not been rating it as much and so that you know offsets its score somewhat this is one reviewed earlier this summer it's set in the android universe from fantasy flight the same place that netrunner goes you're each playing hackers that are hacking into this corporation and trying to steal its information but because you're rival hackers, you have to one-up each other in, in hacking in. So the game is played on a square board. On your turn, you can either put a little token of yours into one of the squares, or you can play cards that will arrange lines around the squares in certain ways. And it's sort of like that game you used to play on card trips before they invented the internet where all you had was graph paper and your mom was trying to distract you, so you would just take turns drawing a line to make boxes. It's like that, where you're trying to make boxes, you're trying to encapsulate just your tokens and not nobody else's token, and that's how you get area. So in that way, it's an area control type thing. So yeah, I I quite enjoy it. It's it's another fun, fast, simple game. So that's my number one, Android Mainframe. That At present on BGG, that has only uh, 500 ratings. The net geek rating is something like a 6, which is a full point lower than what the average mm-hmm. rating is. But my number one underrated game is Guildhall, and I'm lumping in that Guildhall, Guildhall Job Fair, Guildhall Fantasy Fellowship, Guildhall Fantasy Alliance, Guildhall Fantasy Coalition, etc., etc. These are all different iterations of the the same mechanics, just with different individual cards in them. The the original Guildhall was released in 2012, the, the Job Fair was in 2013, and then this year AEG released... You know, let's do a fantasy version of this where it's paladins and wizards and such instead of pig farmers. Although I I was perfectly fine with the the pig farmers and the dancers and whatever the generic sorts of people are. But this is a is a a card game. You get 
two actions a turn, and you're using those two actions to try to complete sets in your guild hall. In a standard game, there are going to be six different card types, like I said, like farmer or tax collector or, you know, rogue, you know, wizard, depending on what your what iteration you're playing. And when you play that card, it has an effect. And then at the end of the turn, it moves into your guild hall. And you can only play a particular cult, like the, the card and of that color. There's five different colors for each card. If you don't have one already in your guild hall. But the more of that guild that you already have in your guild hall, when you play it, the bigger an effect you get. So if you play, if it's your first time playing a dancer, it says draw, you draw one card and get another action. Or maybe it's just you, actually, I think it's just you get another action. Mm-hmm. But that's because you, it's draw a number of cards equal to the number of dancers already in your guild hall. So if you've already got three in there, now you're going to draw three cards when you play the fourth one. You are, you've got cards that let you draw more cards, cards that knock cards out of opponent's skills, cards that let you put cards directly from your uh, hand in your guild hall, cards that swap uh, cards around between the players. You, it's, it's very often the case that you need to jump from a three-card guild directly to a five-card guild in one way or another, because if you leave a guild sitting there with four, that's basically putting a big bullseye on your head. And then once you have one of these guilds completed, it flips over, and there are a number of victory point cards that are out. And so one of your actions can be to cash in your completed guild for one of these victory point cards, which will obviously be worth some number of victory points, but may also give you some extra ability when you take it, like you draw more cards, or you get more actions this turn, or a whole variety of things. But this is a card game that I I think is is really great. It gets average ratings on BGG of over 7, but the new ones, the Guildhall Fantasies, have very, very few ratings. The original Guildhall has a as a healthy amount, so it ends up with a, a decent geek rating, but still something that shows up as my number one underrated game, according to Board Game Geek, Guildhall and Company. Well, there you go. We've got our we've got our lists. We've checked them twice. No, we are not playing Letters from Santa underappreciated games. Okay, fair enough. Also, we may have checked them more than twice, depending on how inattentive we are, you know. How seriously should one take this? I don't know. (laughs) You know, it's... Yeah, uh, about as seriously as you should take any of the ratings on BGG, I think. (laughs) Yes, or our personal ratings on Mm -hmm. BGG. But these are games that we think are, are worthy of attention, a bit more attention than they're getting, although in some cases it's, they are games that have gotten a lot of attention. We just think that they're, I don't know, deserving of continued attention even after some people think they've lost their luster or uh, or, or just even more attention than they were already getting. Well, thanks for listening. You've been listening to Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. You can find us on the web at www.strangeassembly.com. 
you can subscribe to this podcast there or on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever it is that you found this episode. We're at the usual social media sites. We're facebook.com slash strangeassembly or at strangeassembly on Twitter. I am always look forward to hearing uh, comments from our listeners or readers, so you can reach me at chris at strangeassembly.com. But until then, for Jay Earl, I'm Chris Stevenson, and this is Strange Assembly. Never stop gaming. I'm going to go program my elephant now. <laughs>